mainstream media is dominated by the right and the left. The majority in the middle are left without a voice. You've reached the Conservative Hippie Podcast, a common sense look at life, the universe, and everything. Here's your host, Jay Frat, the Conservative Hippie. Okay, uh, you know, Mike, I thank you so much for joining me. Uh, everybody, this is Mr. Mike Lawless, a.k.a. The Truth Doctor. He can be found on Twitter at Mike Lawless1960. No tricky spellings there. You can figure it out. He's also on YouTube. He is the Philosopher Engineer on YouTube. Hello, Mike. Hello, Jay. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, I've had a bit of sleepless nights uh, the last week, and I'm up early, raring to go today. Excellent. That sounds fantastic. So, Mike, you and I came across each other. Um, we are fellow real people on Twitter, and um, I want to encourage anybody that has an anonymous account out there to come out of the shadows and be a real person. It's it's not hard. Um, I actually think it would decrease the toxicity that you can find in social media. Uh, whenever I think about uh, things I'd like to say on Twitter uh, or things I'd like to say on Instagram, if I were anonymous, it would it would bring out some of the worst qualities in me. And when you're a real person on Twitter, when you're a real person on social media, it forces you to have some sort of civil, um, forward-facing um, platform. And I think that sometimes that's missing. So one of the first things that drew me to Mike was I saw, hey, this is a real guy out here, real guy not afraid to be a real person. Um, and uh, what, what ensued was finding out that Mike is very learned about uh, history, even alternative history, if we want to call it that. Um, and he's got a process, a logic of thinking through problems that is, that, boy, you've put a lot of time into this. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you approach uh, today's, today's uh, uh, fire hose of information? Absolutely. Thank you very much, Jay. Uh, yes, I'm a mechanical engineer and an inventor. I'm a free thinker. I probably always have been. And I sort of cherish this idea of being open-minded to, to new ideas that are outside of your own experience. And so, uh, and some people are wired that way. It's, it's more of being an adventurer. Um, and it, also I was exposed early on to sort of a classical approach to education with philosophy and how we, how we think and how we learn. And to, that really influenced me quite a bit as well as learning a little bit about, you know, Socrates and Aristotle and classical logic. And I find that uh, in today's society, fast forwarding, we're in a very, uh, in the public arena, we have a very highly charged, uh, hostile in some cases environment. And we're almost forced to compartmentalize our work world, our professional life from the things we experience in the public arena. And I, I think there's a lot of reasons why that's the case, but it really makes it quite difficult. People are fearful to come out and uh, and to weigh in on important issues because uh, they'll be uh, labeled or characterized or compartmentalized uh, as well. And that, that's very unfortunate. And there's reasons why that happens. And that, that's where you get into the longer history of propaganda and influencing people in the public square. But what I found is I've been interested in really trying to understand things because I'm really curious and I, and I believe that being 
curious is a really great quality. We should always be curious. And we're approaching new things that, that we can uh, misunderstand or we could even be deceived on. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, insight I get from people like uh, Mark Twain, who says it's easier to fool someone than convince them they've been fooled. But I can assure you one thing. We've all been fooled. And uh, it's really great to kind of go back and rechallenge our assumptions, the things we thought were true that may not actually be true. And what I've been focusing on, on my professional life as well as my personal life, really goes back to a fundamental that I think is important for all of us. And that is, how do we manage knowledge and how do we apply that knowledge in decision making? So this is something I really focused on a lot and I see the same trend. And it really comes down to this idea that it's less important what we think than it is how we think. And this is unfortunately where our educational institutions have kind of failed us a little bit because so many of them fall into the the what to think uh, mindset, which is really more of an indoctrination. We should be focused on how to think. And that's where my focus is. And it's really challenging with the kinds of issues that are thrown at us that don't make sense on how we can sort through them, break them down to their fundamentals and try to put them back together and understand them. It really takes a discipline and patience. And that's really hard to do when we're getting bombarded with information all the time from all directions. That's right. We're almost taught uh, to just listen to the fire hose and trust what's coming versus investigate and use your own discernment to discover truth on your own. No, exactly. You know, we're getting bombarded and I think we're conditioned to react. And we don't have to react. I mean, there are sometimes we there's an urgent situation or an emergency. We may have, um, we might be under demand to make a decision very quickly. If we don't, if we do not have to make a very quick decision, it's valuable to take that time to really, you know, look at something and collect information and review it and analyze it and then make a decision when it's appropriate. Um, but the urge we have to react is something that's worth reflecting on. Is that really valuable? And then react might be an opinion. Uh, in some cases, and we all know people that have an opinion about everything. And on a new item, they have an opinion almost instantly. It's like a snap decision. Boom, this is bad. This is good. So it's a binary logic is what I call it, or binary thinking. And I think this is really harmful. Uh, and it doesn't help us understand complex issues. Yeah. And this is what you would refer to, the three Ps. I kind of came up with the three Ps, and that is that most things we do not understand 100%. It's a probability equation. And we can't just accept it because some authority said so or some, quote, expert said so or CNN or MSNBC or Fox News said so. Uh, because, frankly, the track record of public figures, to be straightforward with us, has been pretty poor. So we just shouldn't accept things. We should look at the evidence and data and then try to navigate. So I came up with the three Ps. Instead of saying, you know, I believe this or I don't believe it, I have the three levels. Is it possible? Is it plausible? And is it probable? Because in real life, we're usually dealing with probability. So if I'm running a business or I'm making a decision or I'm investing my retirement money into something, I don't have 100% knowledge of the things on which I'm making that decision from. So it's really a probability equation. And the better we do on having uh, a higher probability of a certain outcome, 
the better decisions we'll make. And over time, that'll help us be successful. But we will make mistakes. We will fail because we're in a situation where we need to make decisions without 100% of the information. And it only gets more complicated now in this craziness with the COVID crisis or the coronavirus crisis and other crises we're dealing with on the economic level. How do we navigate this? How do we process it? What decisions do we have to make? And where do we take action? Yeah, very very interesting. And it it, it kind of speaks to um, not becoming entrenched when you talked about uh, binary decision-making or emotional uh, decision-making that you make in a rush. Sometimes we fall victim to entrenching uh, ourselves with an opinion based on uh, early information, and that makes us less pliable to adjust, change our minds, um, and have a nuanced approach when new, when when uh, more relevant or more factual or more honest information comes in. Um, and that's one thing that's so important these days is is to adjust because sometimes we might get a piece of news that isn't accurate. And then we find a, a more fact-based, accurate piece of news, and you have to be able to adjust your opinion or the way you look at the obstacle uh, that's in front of you. Absolutely. And I think most of us know that in the world of sales and marketing, that there are techniques that tend to appeal more to our emotion and our ego. So whether we're going to look at a car to buy it or make other decisions, there are Techniques that are obviously in place that have been there for a long time that appeal to our emotion, that appeal to our ego, because it works. Okay, let, and, and, and frankly, we're influenced sometimes more by that ego, that bias, yeah. than we are by logical thinking. Let, let's get into that a bit, because um, you, you helped me research more on this figure that, that was this early pioneer of, of uh, mass marketing, if you will, and something that I see as common sense when it comes to um, advertising to the, to the mass public, I didn't realize it had such firm, targeted um, roots. So, so could you explain? Could you explain where that comes from? And kind of let's go back to the beginning um, because you've got a really great way of explaining this. Absolutely, that sounds fun. Uh, first, I'll share a quick story. Uh, when I travel, and I travel fairly often for my work, I have sort of a personal survey question that I've asked hundreds of people, literally. And it's there's it, actually it's two questions. The first question is. Have you ever heard of Sigmund Freud? And I can tell you that uh, of all the people I've talked to, more than 99% of the people I've talked to knew who Sigmund Freud was. He's probably the most well-recognized name in psychology. And then the second question is where it gets really interesting. Ask them if they know who Edward Bernays is. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that over 99% of the people I've talked to have never heard of Edward Bernays. A few of them said, is that Bernays sauce? Is it, you know, there's some other funny things. Yeah. So it, it, it's an interesting point because Edward Bernays has had a lot more influence on our lives than Sigmund Freud has. And, and it, what's interesting is how few people recognize Edward Bernays. And he was the really the um, grandfather, I guess, of modern marketing, modern um, public relations. And he actually coined the term public relations. And he wrote a book called Propaganda. But he's been the most influential person in the field 
in the last century. If I'm not mistaken, uh, it, he actually he actually helped Sigmund Freud um, uh, bring his uh, bring his theories um, out to the public. Um, and so, tell us again, what's the relationship with uh, Edward Bernays and Sigmund Freud? Yeah, so Edward Bernays is the nephew of Sigmund Freud, so they're they're related, and uh, uh, Edward Bernays applied the principles uh, that Sigmund Freud you know, uh, had really covered in, in his work, uh, really focused around the ego. And Edward Bernays became one of the most prominent figures in applying psychology at a mass level, whether it was for selling cigarettes or whether it was selling a war. So he worked both with the government and with private industry, and he was very successful. He began his career pretty much at the beginning of World War One as part of the very important Creel Commission that was paid by the federal government to influence public opinion in the direction of participation in World War One. So their impact was very large. In fact, it was during that time that the term propaganda really took on a negative connotation. Before that, propaganda in itself is just a word on how you propagate information and how you influence it. When it's used to deceive and cause people to uh, uh, misunderstand something, then it can get a, a obviously a negative connotation in terms of war. The propaganda for World War One was really pretty obscene if you go back and review it. But aside from that, in, in our modern context, how does this affect us today? And that is we're bombarded by all this information, and a lot of it has a purpose, and that purpose is to sell us something, whether it's a political campaign or whether it's to sell us on buying a product uh, or whether it's um, – supporting some agenda, whatever that might be. So it really challenges us to not react to their approach. Some people call it the Hegelian dialectic. That is problem, reaction, solution. And the idea is if you want to manipulate people, and there are people, believe it or not, who want to manipulate us. They want to create a problem, and they anticipate our reaction. And they have the solution waiting for us, and that's how they steer us this way or that way. Well, the one, there's two ways to avoid this and to really uh, have some independence. One is to be sort of a free thinker or independent thinker, um, and that requires that you're open-minded and you don't just follow and you don't react. So that's that's the beginning of that process. And that means that you, you can uh, be patient and not either accept or reject something right away. Because frankly, when we, dis when we dismiss something or accept it too quickly – we're really making a decision on inadequate information. And that's that's a bad process to make decisions. And it really is rooted in in a level of uh, arrogance. You know, and it, what happens, the whole process of manipulating us has to do with our ego. The antidote to that is a uh, humility, especially an intellectual humility, which says we don't know things, we're patient, and we'll try to understand them. Um, and that's a process. So I focus a lot on Again, back to philosophy versus psychology, philosophy is kind of your reaction. It's your behavior. It's your subconscious coming in and weighing in on where you fit. And there's a lot at play there. The philosophy is how we think, and that is how do we gather information, assess that information, analyze it, and then make a decision. And it's a process. And the key in that process for knowledge is what information do we have and how good is it? What is our process? to look at that information and evaluate it. And then the conclusion is what comes out of that. And the most important part is what we put into the process, not the end of it. And yet, what do we focus on? 
focus on opinions. Yeah. Everyone has an opinion on everything. What is an opinion? That's the conclusions. What we really should be looking at is, okay, that's great. You believe this or believe that. Why do you believe it? How did you arrive at that decision? What information did you use? And then we can look at that together. Because I, I also, I have many slogans. The one slogan is that knowledge is a team sport. And that means that we're really in this together because, you know, UJ have some information I don't have and I have some information you don't have. And if we collaborate and we share that information together, we can have a better understanding of the situation than either of us could separately. Yeah. And then when we take that information, we make a decision together. We can say, well, this is where it leads me. And then you can ask that other person, does that make sense to you? And then they can say, well, there's some other factors that I've considered. And then you go through that. And what happens is the larger group that is working together in a collaborative way, the better outcome you're going to have. You're going to leverage the combined insight and knowledge and talent of that group. And that's where why crowdsourcing is kind of a really popular thing nowadays is because really you get benefit out of a larger group of people collaborating with the right model, with the right method of participation, a true teamwork model. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's important. It goes back to what we were saying. If you, if you make your mind up or you believe that celebrity opinion, you're not open to adjusting with new information. Whereas this, this team sport of learning and solving problems, you can adjust, you can learn new things, and you might be able to come to a better understanding of truth through the collective. Okay, so let's move on a bit, and we are going to uh, hang on with us, folks, because we are going to discuss some interesting things. I just want to get through a baseline of understanding. So you might say that Mike and I are going to discuss some conspiracy theories, but this kind of leads us in, right, Mike? Uh, tell us this term conspiracy theory. It, it leads into we're getting closer to modern times. So we've gone from Bernays, who is kind of the godfather of propaganda and using um, psychological tools for mass mass marketing and mass influence, if you will. Uh, tell us wh where did this term conspiracy theory, conspiracy theorists, it's got such a negative connotation. Where does that come from? Absolutely. That, that's, I'm glad you brought that up, and this is a fantastic topic. So the term conspiracy theory was, was um, developed, and we call it weaponized. I think folks call it weaponized, but was used by the CIA uh, to discourage people from asking too many questions after the JFK assassination. Now, this isn't the only term that's used, but this is part of the whole propaganda approach, is to... Um, use a variety of fallacies and and there's a, a whole range of fallacies um which you know if you go back to the time of socrates and you look at the sophists they use these different fallacies you can have fallacy by association and you can have uh, even call people names etc well one of the easiest things to do is to come up with a name and coin it and then um turn it into a pejorative so you know has the government ever been involved in corruption absolutely well, most people say absolutely right yes uh, if there was a large group of corruption uh, that was done in secret, that would technically be a conspiracy. So, you know, unfortunately, we have a lot of corruption in government, and we have a lot of actual conspiracies. You can call it conspiracy fact. If you were an investigator investigating a crime, uh, you might find conspiracies and dig into those conspiracies. And in the process of that investigation, you might develop some theories, some hypotheses to chase through. 
So theories are one thing. Conspiracies are related. You can have the theories related to conspiracies. And you certainly should start with gathering data and doing, you know, a legitimate investigation. So this is the whole problem. Now, what happened with the John F. Kennedy assassination is there are many theories out there. There are many questions as well. Uh, and a lot of the public was not satisfied. So the CIA, and we find out lots of facts, we can call them dots versus connecting the dots, through the Freedom of Information Act. So FOIA, Freedom of Information Act, has been one of the greatest tools to find original source documents and find true facts. And the conspiracy label theory is one of those true facts that we know. It's not a speculation on my part. And yet it's been used for decades and decades and decades to shut down legitimate conversation. Because what it is, essentially, you're judging another person by a label. So if I label somebody, uh, you know, with, with a name that's pejorative, I don't actually have to discuss, debate, and, and dig into what their point is. There's a whole range of fallacies, and I kind of recommend, you know, in educating your children and yourself, is to study those fallacies and understand them. Because what happens in the public arena is we're bombarded with fallacies, fallacies by association, fallacies by name calling, fallacies by uh, straw men. You know, there's a, a lot of them. And I refer to the media as a fallacy factory, but it really is fallacy. So, you know, if Jay has an idea, he wants to tell me that sounds kind of suspicious. And I say, well, you, you're a conspiracy theorist. You're just like that other guy over there. Uh, and that guy believes that the moon's made out of cheese. You know, and then by association, uh, then I can discredit Jay without ever addressing, you know, his topic. Yeah. And that's that's a fallacy. It's, that fallacy means false reasoning. Yeah. So yeah. the alternative to false reasoning is proper reasoning. And proper reasoning is very ordered. Uh, Aristotle has, you know, classical logic, which is really similar to mathematics. You can have a good math equation and you can have a bad math equation. A fallacy is a bad math equation. And yet that's what we're given all the time. And probably one of the most used terms in our lifetime has been conspiracy theory. So if you have a question about, you know, 9-11 or any other major corruption or even Hillary Clinton involved in corruption with the uh, Clinton Foundation, uh, some people may just label you a conspiracy theorist rather than deal with the merits of the topic. So, yeah, that's a huge one. And uh, at some point, once we can look at that issue itself and not respond and not react to the label we can have an intelligent conversation and maybe an honest conversation yeah and you know if somebody says you're a conspiracy theorist you say absolutely we're all we're all conspiracy theorists in this world and to kind of tie it together and what you're talking about the best way to solve a problem or to approach um, a problem to find truth um, that crowdsourcing, um, that conspiracy theory label basically shuts down that valuable tool of crowdsourcing and directs you back to that beam of celebrity opinion um, it, without, without ever looking at the data underlying um, any of the opinions or that, or that search for truth. Absolutely. And these terms are often used to cause us to not think independently they're, they're they're really used to coerce us to follow the crowd and that's why they refer to people as sheep but you know we don't need to follow the crowd and we don't need to rebel against the crowd we just need to stop and think about you know how we're reacting to the information and to deal with be honest about our psycho the psychology side 
because we may have we do have biases and everybody has biases and propaganda is used to manipulate those biases for somebody's agenda for somebody's purpose and our the biggest bias we have to battle against is our own yeah all right and i'm being gonna... honest about it, it's a good place to start if we're honest about our own bias then we can really reflect on it and it doesn't have to dictate our decisions or our even ultimately our opinions. That's that important humility part of what you were saying. All right, I'm going to take a break right here, Mike. We're going to we're going to pay some bills and uh, that was a great primer to the discussion we're going to have after the break. We're going to talk about the meat of a lot of current topics going on right now out in society where uh, you've got a fire hose of information. It's not all true, and we have to somehow swim through this stream to discern facts from fiction and try to put it all together to understand. It's so hard right now. Um, So stick with us. We're going to come back. We're going to really discuss a lot of great things um, and hopefully try to try to get a little closer to truth um, and thank you so much for joining me Mike and uh, and thank everybody for listening and joining this community remember uh, you're not fans you're not listeners you're community members and uh, we're all in this together absolutely you're welcome thank you This podcast wouldn't be possible without the support of Smokin' Jays. Please take the time to visit SmokinJays.com. They have over 2,000 products from puzzles and posters to pipes and purses. Everything for your smoking lifestyle. Use coupon code HIPPIE at checkout for 15% off your order. Right now, I'm wearing a cool collared shirt with Rasta stitching I got from Smokin' Jays. Just visit the link in the show notes or get there on your own. But use coupon code HIPPIE for 15% off and to support this podcast. Okay, Mike, we're back. And, you know, I don't, I wouldn't use the word trepidation. I'm just concerned, confused. This is such a difficult topic to discuss, and I appreciate you coming on and tackling the QAnon movement. Uh, let me let me just read really quick what I what I typed in as a description for this segment of the podcast, and this will kind of get us going. The QAnon movement operation or program is a complex topic with hot button issues, grand theories and mysterious puzzles all wrapped into a secretive shell. That's that's what I wrote down. So Okay. How how are we going to approach this from the three Ps perspective? Uh, is it possible? Is it plausible? And is it probable? And what is it? That's the first question is what is it? So when people talk about QAnon or Q, the first question is, what are we even talking about? Yeah. And and I can tell you, I'm not an expert on it, but Q is a phenomenon. It is something that is happening. It is information that is being shared with, I guess, the public, uh, certainly those who are interested. And uh, there's some means, I'm not a computer expert, but some means of of uh, verifying the identity that it's encrypted somehow so that we know that it's coming from 
a particular source. Yes. Doesn't necessarily mean it's one person. And like, I'm like many things we're running into these days. We're almost in a twilight, you know, what is it called? Twilight world, uh, twilight, twilight zone zone. Yeah. The TV show, I forgot the name for a moment, but we're seeing a lot of things we haven't seen before. And, I think this Q or Q and on movement is, is another one of those things where we kind of scratch our heads and say, what is this? What is going on? Right. So, so real quick, a lot of people have described it as a drip nurture campaign to enlighten the public on a secret cabal that controls the world and all the little tentacles of dirty, corrupt, um, politicians and uh, corporate leaders that are either at the bidding or within this cabal. And, and so some people have said it's a military operation. I think, I think you and I, uh, we go back and forth on what exactly is it, but does it really matter? It's the information contained within that matters most. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree with that? Well, I think so. I mean, I kind of take things in baby steps. So we'd go back to that movie. What's called? What about Bob? And the baby steps, baby steps. Yeah. So the first step I'm looking at, and, and I've shared this often, and that is how do we um, entertain the thought without accepting it? So that's the quote from Aristotle. It's the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. And for me, that's where I like to start in all these things. I think it's important, at least to, to me, it's very important to neither dismiss or accept something immediately and maybe not even for a while. Yeah. So I have to kind of let it float there and play with it. And I think the first step with the QAnon is looking at what Q is claiming. Okay. You know, and what you talked about maybe goes several steps down the road. The first step, my understanding, is that QAnon is claiming to be an insider, right? Yes. So that's... Isn't that the first step? And what does that an insider mean? Is that me sitting right next to Donald J. Trump? Maybe. You know, does that just mean there's some communication between Team Trump and this QAnon? Maybe. And I think that's what we need to do is to kind of break it down into smaller. Steps. What we do know is there's a lot of information. Yes. You know, there's a lot of Q drops. Okay, and we so, can all look at the same drops. So let me let me stop I'll, you here because we have some people that you know we, we've got to bring people along that may not be that familiar with Q and they're just curious and so they're kind of listening to this and understanding for the first time. So you said a couple things um, without getting into the identity. Some people would think military intelligence. Some some people might just think it's an educated nerd in his mama's basement um, posting on a board, but. So let's get to a couple facts. You said there's a ton of information, and you said what what claims has he made? So let's go back to the very first drop on October 28th, 2017. A lot of people would point out that this is the same exact day that Durham was appointed or put on the case um, uh, to look into Hillary Clinton's emails, to look into Spygate, to look into Russiagate, all the all the different corrupt aspects um, of the last few years. Durham was appointed to look into this on October 28th, the same day that Q started drop doing these drops. And that very first drop was Hillary Clinton will be arrested between 7.45 and 8.30 on Monday, the morning on October 30th, 2017. 
HRC extradition already in motion, effective yesterday, with several countries in case of cross-border run. Passport approved to be flagged effective 10.30, 12 a.m. Expect massive riots organized in defiance and others fleeing the U.S. to occur. USMs will conduct the operation while NG activated. Proof check. Locate a NG member and ask if activated for duty 10.30 across most major cities. That's the very first drop way back then. Now we fast forward and... 3,987 drops or posts have been presented since that date to today's date. Yeah, that's correct. That's interesting, the 3,987. There's a lot of drops. And one thing I wanted to mention, you know, first to respond to your point, the very first drops make this sort of these audacious claims that do not appear to, to have come true. That's and correct. So at face value, if I just wanted to, you know, look at this and say, hey, this is what they said would happen. That didn't happen. This whole Q thing is nonsense. So let's just forget about it and go along our ways. And I can tell you, I've had discussions with uh, particularly one of my brothers, but really other people as well that say, hey, this thing is nonsense, right? There's nothing here. And, and that could be the end of that. And if you're all done with your analysis, it could be that. But if you kind of step back and say, okay, that didn't make any sense, but let's look at these 3,900 drops, and there's a lot of cryptic messages, and there's a lot of sort of gamesmanship that appears, things we don't understand, but there's also a lot of what people refer to as Q proofs. Because the first step is, what are we trying to learn about Q if we even care, right? Why do we even care? Okay. Well, the first thing is, is Q an insider? Are we learning things that are happening in the inside? So the Q proofs, are a number of things where Q is going to reveal some information that show that they're connected to the Trump team. Uh, maybe some information you couldn't really get other ways. And there's a bunch of those. Some of them are actually quite entertaining and others, you know, seem, uh, you know, pretty audacious. But the thing about all the Q drops with all this cryptic type of approach, like a military intelligence operation, possibly, or some very clever people, is they're First, putting some clues out or some proofs that seem difficult to do if you were not connected. The second is that they put out information that is more of a, a clue rather than an outright statement. Now, there's a, a number of possibilities. I mean, there is a possibility that, you know, that somebody was arrested and it was never revealed. I guess that's a possibility. Or there's a lot of discussion about. Uh, time deltas. Yeah, something's put on one date and it's a year later or two years later that this is part of a plan. Because first, we're looking at what is Q claiming to be. Well, the Q is claiming to be is kind of a military type intelligence operation or a counter intelligence operation that has a plan that goes over a long time period uh, that is putting together information that is. Um, it has clues for everybody to try to figure out, but it's against an enemy. So there's a battle between two sides. That's kind of how Q's presenting itself. So yes. what do we do with this information? We well, kind of observe it. We look at it. We find it interesting. There's some things that make us scratch our heads. And we look at it. To me, I look at it in its totality. So I can remain, I guess, on the fence, they might say. But really, it's a question of open-mindedness to 
hey, maybe this is just a complicated game or maybe this has some legitimacy to it. But even Q says that, what, disinformation is necessary or yes. uh, misinformation. So what does that mean? You know, so is this sort of throwing these little messages to the other side and the other side sends messages back? Um, now, I, I was not in the military and I certainly wasn't in mili- military intelligence. So I don't have the foggiest idea how to decode these things. And I know some people have tried to. But there's clearly a lot going on. And, um, you know, a lot of the proofs have to do with, you know, Q doing a drop in a certain time later or maybe POTUS Trump yeah. is going to take some, say some words or tweet some particular thing. Okay, so let, there's let, dozens, let, right, of these things. Let me interrupt again. Let me try to catch some people sure. up and answer some of the questions that you posed there. Um, and and you, it, we can't help it, right? We have to ask the question, and it's just— it's human nature to ask question, who is Q? And one of the things that the word I wanted to interrupt with that, that I think is very clear when you say, well, who is Q? What is Q? It's and, certainly— And why is Q? And why is Q? And, yeah, and why is Sorry. Q? Well, it, certainly Q is a patriotic mission. Q is a patriot. I mean, I think that is that is absolutely clear. There's a lot of pride. There's a lot of patriotism. There's a lot of religion and God mixed in as well. Um, it's also an all-inclusive uh, mission, meaning it's not— a, a lot of right-wing people have taken this on and kind of put their arms around it as if it's their own, but all the words within are very inclusive of everyone. Uh, one of the sentiments that kind of got me looking a little closer is the hashtag that was created by Q— where we go one, we go all, WWG1, WGA. And I really like that sentiment. I think it's lost in our team sport of politics where you have to be on the right or you have to be on the left. And in reality, uh, we are all Americans, and, and that should be first and foremost. So that that answers a little bit of a couple questions you were throwing out there. The disinformation is interesting, and what I think uh, I'd ri- like to relay to people that aren't familiar with Q is it's to me, and, and I want to go there with you. It it resembles PizzaGate in so many ways because it's not necessarily the end claim or this audacious claim that becomes the most important thing. It's all of the little clues and little threads and little wormholes and rabbit holes that you can go down while investigating for yourself. And the most that, that's another tenant of uh, what this Q movement or this Q PSYOP or this military intelligence operation, this drip nurture campaign, another tenant is deciding for yourself, investigating for yourself. It's about people becoming self-aware. You brought up a really good point, and I think it's even you know, bigger than one of the particular topics. And you just brought up the whole point of, of unif- unification. And you know, one of the one of the key tools to control people, so the people in power to maintain their power is very simple: divide and conquer. I mean, that's the simplest concept. We often forget that. And one thing I just wanted to point out about divide and conquer is that that is the core purpose of propaganda. 
Okay. So what happens with the people that are in power, there's nothing more valuable to them than to get people divided against each other so that they don't really recognize who the enemy is. And so it's interesting that the cube movement would focus on on unification. So this whole divide and conquer. And what's interesting, I think last time we talked about psychology versus philosophy. Mm-hmm. If we all think about knowledge the same way, there's not a lot of reason for conflict. Conflict comes out of out of the psychology side, the emotion. We get people angry at each other. We have misunderstandings. We jump to conclusions. We have to have an opinion right away. And we have that tied to our identity. And anyone who challenges our opinion is a threat to us. These are all techniques of propaganda. Uh, Philosophy, on the other hand, or let's say how we think, if we're really trying to understand something, it's a patient process. It's a collaborative process. I talk about knowledge being a team sport. And so the whole Q thing is encouraging collaboration. It's encouraging independent thinking. And it's encouraging a process. And that's the exact opposite of what the propagandists for the, well, certainly the last century and more have wanted us to do the opposite. What do propagandists want us to do? They want us to react right now. Are you in? Are you out? Is this person good? Is that person bad? They want us to do one or the other. And then they create terms. And so you talked about Pizzagate. Uh, We can talk about Watergate, which was the first gate. We can talk about other terms like um, conspiracy theorists. Mm-hmm. And a little bit of research, we know that these are basically fallacies. We have lots of fallacies that are out there all the time. One of the most common fallacies is called ad hominem. And that's basically to, you know, call somebody a name or use a label instead of actually looking at the content. And along with that, you can use all the other fallacies. But what are some of the common fallacies? Guilt by association. Well, you're you're believing the same thing that that crazy Alex Jones thinks. So therefore, you're like Alex Jones. That's a fallacy. Ad hominem is also a label. So um, we know now through the Freedom of Information Act that even the term conspiracy theory and conspiracy was coined by the CIA so that they could label people that ask too many questions. In that case, about the JFK assassination. So that we have to be careful about labels. Are we, are we really reacting to the word or are we looking at the evidence? So if we take time and look at the evidence. And we look at the credibility of the evidence and we all together discuss, is that evidence valid or not? Do we trust it and why do we trust it? Can we really you know, probe it? Well, now on the Pizzagate, that was a term that kind of dismissed an investigation of a real um, concern about a pedophile network yes and now we know with jeffrey epstein and with nexium and other actual crimes that we have hundreds if not thousands of people being arrested for human trafficking and pedophile rings and those things are real now the whole thing with pizzagate i guess i'll bring it in um and again they try to make it a loaded term the key about pizzagate goes back to wikileaks and if everyone's familiar with wikileaks They've revealed some documents that are pretty important and uh, uncover some of the corruption in our government and key figures and those in power. But one of the documents they shared in WikiLeaks was from none other than the FBI. And what was that document? That was a document that showed 
that pedophile rings use certain code words. And guess what code words they used in pedophile rings? Things like pizza and hot things dog. Like, yeah. Things like pizza and hot dogs, uh, walnut, walnut sauce. Uh, and not, yeah. just, not just that, but the document also released common symbology for these pedophile networks and uh, symbols that these pedos would use um, to kind of uh, to show other pedophiles uh, who they are, you know, almost like uh, little signals that you or I wouldn't notice, these little triangles within triangles that they would notice and be able to um, uh, discern. And, and yeah, so, so, pro so, so propagandists want you to kind of go pro-con right away. They just want you to have an opinion that's ridiculous, that's a disproven, debunked conspiracy theory, what have you, right? But if someone has an issue with the pizza reference for pedophiles, they can take that issue up with the FBI. I didn't create that document. Yeah. You didn't create that document. The FBI created it. And then, So if they have a problem with it, then let's talk about what is your problem with that document the FBI had? Is it false? Are you going to challenge it? Go ahead. And it, Not my problem. And to kind of to kind of show where you are going with that, you know, just the term Pizza Gate goes all the way to the end where it talks about James Elephantis and his pizza shop and and um, this pedo network. It could easily be called mysterious pedophilia um, markers within John Podesta's emails released by WikiLeaks. It it doesn't roll off the tongue like Pizzagate. But at the very well, exactly. Exactly. So we can talk about what you just brought up, which is some very suspicious activities that are associated with potentially pedophile rings. Now, I'm not an FBI investigation agent or whatever other agents might be investigating a crime. But if I were, I would look at those suspicious activities like I would look at any other crime and say, let's look at these. Let's understand, you know, whether real crimes have gone on or not. And so what happens when you're when somebody wants to manipulate a situation or make it go away, they put that burden of proof on somebody else. It's not, you know, yeah. that, it, it is kind of ridiculous, on, but, it, but it's been done over and over again. You know, it's like, well, if you don't believe the official story on 9-11 that two buildings took down three planes, then you have to tell me what happened. It's like, I don't have to tell you what happened. It's not my fault. The burden of proof is on the people that said that happened and went and spent trillions of dollars in the Middle East causing death and mayhem all over the place because they said this happened. So this idea of burden of proof is really important. So so let me let me get back to Pizzagate because it, it kind of tells my personal story of how I was introduced to the QAnon movement and these Q drops. When I looked into Pizzagate, because it's fascinating, it's very interesting, um, it involves child child trafficking trafficking it's it's secretive um it, all the kinds of mystery things that an investigator like me wants to look into and when i looked into it i didn't get so much into the emails and the claims of weird emails and and the code words used what what i ended up looking into were the characters surrounding the story and I found it absolutely fascinating. That's where I came across this Marie Abramovich and James Elephantis. And who did James Elephantis date? Well, he dated David Brock. And then there's another pizza joint just, just a block away. And, and all of a sudden, these pizza joints decided to change their signs, the symbology they were using within their signs, because they did match this FBI document. And 
it was interesting how with just a few clues, I could then go and investigate, and I found all these fascinating characters. And what's, what's also fascinating is, is fast forward a year or so, from some of these Q drops, I would investigate more fascinating characters. And this one person seems to pop up quite a bit, Marie Abramovich, who's who's this artist. And and you can go and look into her. She's a public, she has a public profile. And it's amazing how much they don't hide their art and their interest in art that is very child pedophilia child torture related. It's very interesting how it's in your face and easily you can go look into these things. So kind of fast forward to these Q drops where everybody was mentioning, oh, look at this and look at this. I found it interesting that Q doesn't tell you what to think. There are interesting little crumbs, this drip nurture campaign for the Great Awakening where you can take something and I would encourage anybody, just go look at a few Q drops and you know, if you find something that interests you, uh, look it up and investigate it. It's it, it's not difficult, but what's hard is the vastness of everything that's been discussed in these near four thousand drops. We've gone everywhere from touching on Spygate, RussiaGate, um, all the way to the coronavirus, and mixed in with all of those is is your Emron Awans and your Uma Abedins and your Wieners. Okay, so there is a lot of information out there. It's a fire hose of information, but I think the point of it is, is for everyone to do their civic duty and to try to ask and understand what are these mechanisms that that kind of prop up our system, our control system, and who are the people that are either contained within the gears of the system or that push the levers and the buttons within the system. And that's that's kind of where I where I have been encouraged by this QAnon movement is is the fact that it's wonderfully positive. It seems to be wonderfully patriotic and it puts the onus on me. I have to look into it. I have to discern for myself. No one is telling me. Now, I know we can go in a whole bunch of different directions, but there is something we should discuss, and that's the confusion over QAnon versus the people who try to do these Q proofs and represent themselves as within the QAnon movement. And it kind of gets very confusing, doesn't it? It certainly can. I, I want to just respond a couple things and make a few comments. Okay. You and I have talked a few times about the difference between, you know, investigating the dots versus trying to connect the dots. Yes. And I think, you know, we all get excited about new things and, and you, you know, we want to chase these things. And that's great, you know, because we should be curious and enthusiastic to try to find the truth. But it takes a little bit of patience and discipline to really look at the dots, and that is the hard evidence that we have. And if we do that first, or, or at least prioritize that, often the dots will connect themselves. And a lot of people get in sort of this debate um, about how the dots are connected before they've even looked at all the dots. And I think this is a problem. And part of that is where our ego is getting in the way of our process. If we have no ego, and it's not about being right, because we all have that little temptation. I want to find it first. It's like a Easter egg hunt or something. You want to be the first to know. Um, but if you get your ego out of the way, 
you're really looking at facts and evidence. And in this case, we're talking about these sort of metaphorical dots. And then you can connect them and people can talk about that. And when we get into the world of speculation, we just have to make sure we separate speculation from facts. And we observe a media that doesn't have that discipline. The media gives us opinion. They give us commentary. They give us conjecture. They give us a lot of things. And they're really light on evidence. And we need to go the other way and focus more on evidence. So the QAnon community, if you will, has done a great job. I mean, certainly compared to the media on going after evidence. In the case of Pizzagate, I just wanted to point out that this documentary that came out, The Out of Shadows, which I think you've seen as well, yes. did a pretty good job of going into you know, the pedophile rings and the human trafficking and all that. And just one more point along the line that I think is a very big part of this QAnon movement and the corruption in our government and our leaders is uh, blackmail. Now, I just want to point out long before, you know, QAnon came along for these latest things that happened, it would go all the way back to J. Edgar Hoover. And he was the director of the FBI, the first director of the FBI, if I recall correctly. And what did he have? He had basically a folder, <laughs> a dossier on almost every politician. Now, you might not call that blackmail. What? Depends how it's used. Yes. You know, and so this idea of blackmail, and I think that gets into whether you talk about Jeffrey Epstein or some of the other uh, cases. Uh, Barney Frank, you know, Barney Frank and his proven brothel in D.C. Yeah, and the big, one of the biggest ones, and, you know, this hasn't been covered a lot, but is Jimmy Savile in, in uh, UK and England uh, had been involved with a pedophile ring for decades and, you know, wasn't investigated and he was kind of allowed to go scot-free and yet he was friends with, you know, royalty and everything else. So there was a lot of reason for concern and we would hope that our authorities would actually investigate these terrible, terrible crimes. And in some cases they don't seem to be investigated. And that's where the QAnon movement is, you know, dropping clues about some of these things. And the factual part of this, the evidence part of it is we know that uh, during this administration that the arrests, uh, the prosecutions for human trafficking and pedophile rings has gone up exponentially. And that, that seems to be continuing. So all those are that's reality, right? There's this reality. And then some people are looking at, you know, the speculation. So it's. I think you're referring to some of the people that go through these Q drops, the Q information and try to, you know, decode them or understand them or explain them. Yeah. Um, and some do a good job. They're very humble about it and say, this is just my interpretation. It seems like this might be what they mean. And other people are overconfident. Yeah. And I, I and, just, uh, I, I just, that when, when I brought that up uh, for people listening that, that might be new to it, you know, I just wanted to warn them because there are people out there that will spoon feed you, but the whole point of this is your own self-discovery. And and what Mike's discussing about dots is sometimes people will take these lines and they'll make the lines solid and then they'll go and connect the dots even though they may not have any correlation. They'll try to fit everything within the lines that they've created, and, that, and that's where you can get into trouble. Whereas, as Mike's pointed out, with his very logical philosophy of, of thinking and interpreting, is, is if you have a dot, just go and investigate the dot. 
and see where it leads you. That's just common sense of investigation. And I've I found a lot of um, these Q followers who then become very popular and they're making money off of it. You know, I call them Q grifters, if you will, where it becomes their channel and their personality and their predictions become the primary modus operandi, not investigation and following the dots and the crumbs that are dripped out. Now, now let me let me switch gears real quick because I think you have knowledge of something that you, that you can share because sometimes people also get into the trap of of denying that conspiracy exists even though we have clear evidence decades and decades and decades old, they still have trouble believing in the next conspiracy until it becomes history. Something's come out recently that I believe you've looked into, and you might be able to explain a little bit, and that's the finders documents and how uh, at the base of it, it sounds alarming, it sounds crazy. The CIA had tunnels underneath child daycares. They were busted, okay, so for human trafficking, for, for stealing children, and then the FBI basically took over the investigation and shut it down. Those documents, those FBI documents, were released recently. Um, can, can you share a little bit about that, quote-unquote, conspiracy? Hmm. Well, actually, I don't know a lot about that particular one. You may be ahead of me on that. I will say this, though, um, that you know, you mentioned something that sounded like cognitive dissonance, and that is when we find information that doesn't fit our worldview and part of that is because of our ego and i always refer to a couple of quotes from mark twain because i think he really helps us understand this uh, one of them, my favorites one of my favorites is it's easier to fool people than convince them they've been fooled so w- what happens with cognitive dissonance and, and this may happen over years or decades is we come to think we know something uh, and then new information comes in that is in opposition to what we think we absolutely know and we can't accept it. And that that's called cognitive dissonance. And it's a really difficult thing. So, but your point is we sometimes get hard evidence of something and we, you know, I, I recommend we have an open mind. We have new information coming in all the time. We don't need to start with an agenda and try to make that new information fit that agenda. Instead, we really should be sort of open-minded and neutral. But curious. So here's the new data. Is what does this mean, right? Yeah. Um, and th- that's what life is about here, because there's so much that we thought we knew. Uh, this break, I'm going to share another Mark Twain quote because I think we need some of these things to kind of jar us out of the mode we've been programmed in for decades. But Mark Twain says, "What gets us into trouble is not what we don't know; it's what we know for sure that just ain't so." <laughs> And, you know, and I go back to Socrates also, and that is we need to really embrace our ignorance. When I have conversations with people, I often say, you know, and kind of lightheartedly, but but also with the seriousness. First, we need to admit that we're ignorant and that we're hypocrites. And then we can have a conversation because all of us are ignorant and all of us are hypocrites. Let's just get that out of the way because we're going to talk about issues of right and wrong. And we have our own failures. Yes. And we certainly have our own blind spots. And the only way we can get over that is kind of take a Socratic type mindset of, hey, we don't really know a lot. 
And that's what's happened to me and maybe happened to you is we thought we knew what was going on in this world, you know, because we had people that we respected, you know, like Walter Cronkite told us certain things and he seemed respectable. So, uh, you know, we've been influenced by experts rather than examining the evidence. Okay. And that's part of the propaganda game, right? Yeah. Okay. Let's get back to Q for a second because there, there's one there's one potential flaw to Q that, that's always kind of struck me, and, and, and I'll try to spit it out. But part, part of the, the attraction to Q is he, is he, she, they are giving these investigative drops that, that help you uh, glean insight into something that's hidden. And one of the things that's very interesting that, that anybody can look into themselves, you know, common sense— was when Anthony Weiner's laptop was um, confiscated and searched, or the Hillary Clinton email probe. And these investigations were never brought to light. It doesn't even, from, from documents recently released, they didn't even look into Anthony Weiner's laptop, the FBI being they, when they took it from the NYPD for months afterwards. And we're talking about right there in the heat of the election. And so you, you look into these characters like uh, Peter Strzok, who was in charge of both the Hillary Clinton email investigation and the Russia spygate investigation. And w- when you start acknowledging these, these strange occurrences, okay, of all the FBI, how is this guy in charge of both investigations? And now you fast forward into the future where clearly the Russiagate investigation was full of holes and frauds and um, a lot of trickery and sh- chicanery throughout. Um, and you have to go back and say, okay, well, why was the Hillary Clinton email investigation uh, dropped? And so, so many people just look at things on a surface level, and, and they kind of get this um, this mainstream media uh, thread of uh, or account of of how things are happening in live time. Um, these QAnon drops kind of help you look a little deeper into it. But there's there's one thing that's always bothered me about the Anthony Weiner laptop, and that's something in a Q post where they quote the NYPD and they say that there's that that there was information on the Anthony Weiner laptop and there's and just to let everybody know there's notes taken by somebody in the NYPD when they looked into the laptop for the first time um, and in these notes it was a couple different lines um, it, it had Hillary Clinton emails and then it said something about um, crimes against children and the guy's been asked, and he says, oh, I don't know. When I wrote those notes, uh, you know, surely they must be connected. And in one of the cue drops, it says that when people looked at the server, it made grown men cry, and you wouldn't believe the humanity. And, and then they say that the NYPD was threatening the FBI, that if they didn't do something, they would come out with it. Now, Mike, the reason I bring this up is because we have to be very careful because I've seen so many people run with this. The only only fact of all of that that I've seen are the notes, which could be interpreted many different ways. I've never had anybody produce produce for me the quote 
of the NYPD officer who said that, who, who told somebody in confidence, quote unquote, that it made grown men cry and you wouldn't believe the crimes against children that were contained on that laptop, insinuating that Anthony Weiner had, I think, I think you've heard this one too, he had a, a folder on his laptop that said insurance. Right. And it was basically blackmail footage of Hillary Clinton or people in the Clinton orbit. Well, no one's ever produced that. Fast forward years later and the NYPD, even though they were so upset about everything, still haven't come out and tried to release it. Clearly, the uh, evidence was buried at the time. And as we've gone this many years and if there is that horrifying of information, then why hasn't it been prosecuted or brought to light yet? And this all kind of centers around this QAnon movement and people saying, oh, have patience, tick tock. Oh, there's so many people that are going to be arrested. And, and we go year after year at this point with nothing being done. Yes. Okay. That's a lot. You covered the, quite a bit there. Well, I would just say this, uh, first of all, because uh, I operate in big picture first, so there's context for whatever we're looking at. And what we're describing and a lot of people have been frustrated with is where we think we have some real crimes uh, that are not they're not addressed. People are not um, investigated. They're not prosecuted. Uh, they're not brought to justice. That That's the issue. And whether it's uh, we've seen this in movies and we've seen this in examples maybe with uh, with mafia where they've corrupted all the way to the top, maybe in a city. Uh, so that you're trying to get justice and you can't get it because maybe the chief of police is also corrupted. Well, in this case, what is being talked about is how far up does the corruption go uh, in our government at the national level? You know, does it go to the FBI? Does it go to the CIA? And if it does, then innocent people may not see justice. They may be persecuted. And what we can look at facts first of all and and then that gives us context it's like the again uh, looking at the dots and then we'll try to connect the dots so what dots do we have about the highest level of our justice department well we've have you know the top oh i don't know 18 to 20 people have been fired and some may be at risk of prosecution in the fbi um, I mean, so we have a lot of sort of evidence that something is not right with our um, with our government and with the Department of Justice and with the FBI and maybe the CIA. And so, again, we're left with stories and, and you've raised a few. Uh, there was something going on there with Anthony Weiner and the laptop. There was something going on with the emails through WikiLeaks. But we have to keep that discipline of being evidence based. And then say, what do we know and how do we know it? Uh, and maybe that particular story that you talked about is true and maybe it's not true. And we have to be okay with not knowing that until the right time. Now, my imagination is quite good. And I can imagine if you had corruption to the highest level, that it might take a little longer, even if it was being addressed. Now, there's two, two or more possibilities. Well, the two, the two main possibilities is that it will never be addressed that the corruption goes to the highest level and it will be brushed under the rug and the criminals will not be dealt with. So, so as it, so as it has the other possibility, so is as it has that been, they will the... be dealt with, but it's going to take a much longer time period because it's like the whole Rico case. Like you're taking out an entire mafia and you're trying to get to the very top and it's going to take years. And hopefully that's the case where we're actually going to see justice. 
We're actually going to find out who the criminals were. Uh, but that may take a much longer time period because it's a much larger organization. And that's what Q has been kind of hinting at. And whether we're being fooled again with Q or whether or not he's giving, you know, whether Q, not he, was probably a group, is giving us insights about what's happening. And eventually we're working there. Are we? We're certainly firing people from the FBI. Some are being investigated. We don't know what Bill Barr and, and Durham, what's the name? John Durham? John Durham. You know, John Durham. Uh, so they're supposedly doing investigations and often we're disappointed that those investigations are not really, they don't have enough teeth in them. Huber. Will they have teeth this time? Maybe, maybe they'll have teeth this time. We don't know. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and you, you said broader perspective, which, which I appreciate very much. And, and it's kind of, it, it does answer some questions. So what you just laid out was if the corruption is so thick and it's so deep, this quote unquote deep state, you have to cleanse, you have to take out, you have to root out before you can then seek justice. So that's been an explanation for why it is taking so long to seek justice, to investigate. Um, also, in some, way, in some ways, it, it's, way. it's going to shock, shock the system, shock people that are just going about their days and they're more worried about their son or daughter soccer match than they are looking into this guy named Peter Strzok or Emron Awan. And some of this information might be so shocking, it will shock their worldview. It will shock what they consider to be, you know, we, we all want to think that, that our government has our best interest in mind and the people that are placed in these positions have our best interest in mind. Um, and, and if evidence comes out against that in all these decades and decades of corruption and stories, these conspiracy theories that are swept under the lug, rug, even though they, they have basis in fact, next thing you know, uh, it's going to shock a lot of people that are around our age, 40s and 50s, that it will say that they've been living in a lie. Their system has been a lie. And that can be, that can be difficult to take. It can be, you know, and I go back to kind of some of the history that we can discover and, and the evidence we have for decades is that some of our institutions have really, well, both the media and in some cases the CIA and other organizations within our government have really tried to influence the public opinion first. I really tried to get people behind a particular direction. Certainly, the you know, some of the clearest examples are wars. And the, and the propaganda and manipulation of the public um, reaction has been a big part of that. And, and there are many examples we could get into. So you have the idea is first they get the public influence to a certain direction uh, and then they take the action and then they have the public behind them. What it feels like with QAnon is they're trying to do that same thing in the reverse. So they're trying to influence the public in the direction of really seeing that there is corruption. And they become aware of it because if they just start arresting people that the public thinks are innocent, they'll just think that they're being persecuted. So there's a process. That's why they call it kind of a counter psychological operations. What I'm observing is we're in a world of psychology, mass psychology of the establishment that's been trying to get us to support wars that maybe we shouldn't support and other agendas that aren't really in our best interest. And they've been successful in doing that for years. And now there's, potentially another entity that's countering that 
and providing evidence saying, no, that there is real corruption. There is a real deep state. That's not a conspiracy theory. In fact, the term conspiracy theory has been used to kind of hide the corruption. Because, you know, has the government ever lied to us? Absolutely. Have they ever deceived us? Have there ever been criminal activities at a large level that have been done in secret? Absolutely. Yes, yes, and yes. So those are cons- so we have conspiracies, unfortunately, more conspiracies than you would want. And there's probably a lot of conspiracies we haven't even discovered yet. So this whole idea of conspiracy theory or conspiracy, conspiracist or conspiracy is something that was promoted as a label to dismiss the idea that you would ask questions and that you would you know, really try to make sure we don't have corruption. And I, I, for one, I'm anti-corruption and whoever was with me, we're all anti-corruption. Let's, uh, let's go dig into it. So yeah. how deep does it go? We don't know. It appears this is a big battle. It does appear based on who's been fired and let go and the moves that have been made, that this is not an ordinary time period. We're seeing corruption exposed to higher levels than maybe we have seen in our lifetimes. And you and I've talked a little bit about the church committee back in the 1970s. And that's kind of a nice perspective because that was a pretty massive exposure of corruption that was really obscene in our government and intelligence agencies and the CIA. And at least it helps you imagine that this can happen. Yeah. And the question is, has it happened again? In fact, did it ever really go? Did it away? ever? Yeah. Did it ever so, stop? It, it, when you 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 point out the church committee, and I think that's that I was getting church committee and finders uh, confused with what what you're knowledgeable on. So I'm glad you brought that up because that's how many decades ago? Well, let's see, seventies, night. I mean, that what is that? Forty years ago, and yeah, fifty years ago, yeah, yeah and or forty, yeah. and it exposed like just clear, factual, rampant corruption, and it was never cleaned out. Nothing was ever done about it, and so we just continue this cycle of repeating history and, and, oh, uh, uh, weapons of mass destruction, and Robert Mueller sits up there and says, yep, FBI has verified uh, weapons of mass destruction. Next thing you know, Robert Robert Mueller is in charge of prosecuting President Trump on trumped-up charges, and nobody ever stops to think, wait, same guy, same guy? And so we just keep reliving this. And I think that's what a lot of people that are trying to follow without getting too deep into this QAnon movement, not not be to to avoid being true believers, but self-educating, is this is there is something different going on right now. There is I, I believe there is an awakening, but at the same time, it's not that many people. And and that's the trouble, isn't it? Where we're trying to awaken a mass population, but really it's a very thin it's a very thin layer um, that are out there investigating and exploring these theories of conspiracy. Um, and, and how do we, this part of this QAnon movement that's kind of moving into a next stage, is how does it get to more people? Because it, it has in some ways been, been taken, taken hold of, of right-wingers, you know, so libertarian types, freedom first. And... And there's this team mentality of right-wingers hate the libtards, and the libtards think the right-wingers are religious nutjobs. And so it's how does this Q movement move past the right-wing investigation blogs and out into the main population base of moderates? Well, things, you know, you covered a lot of ground there, but 
you know, first of all, I don't think it's just that thin. We've always had the independent thinkers, the people that don't follow the herd, that, that challenge everything. And the propaganda approach is to discourage those people. But really, some of these independent thinkers or free thinkers are, are pretty determined. And, you know, some of them, you know, were really pretty um, determined with 9-11 to try to figure out what really went on there. And the Q movement maybe was just added to that. But one you know, one thing that I often recommend, and we just gave an example of this, is to look as, at historical events that are known to give us a little bit more of a foundation. Because when we're in the present, we're caught up in the psychological battle, and it's very difficult to manage our own, our own psychological and emotional reaction. But when we go back to the church committee, that's not so loaded, right? I mean, you can look at that and say, wow, that was, that's pretty disturbing, you know, and I could give you, you know, half a dozen or a dozen other examples that are not within your immediate, you know, presence where it's emotionally distressing. You know, we can talk about the USS Liberty sinking, which was, you know, also something that didn't make sense. And as we looked in those things in the past, it gives us context to look at what we're, we're examining now and investigating and that way we don't go crazy. And I think we have to kind of work together on that and be a, a little bit um, a little bit patient. But I don't think it's that thin. I think what's happening with the QAnon uh, movement, and you can see by the reaction from the media that they are all over trying to discredit QAnon and scare anyone from even looking at it. Because, oh, my goodness, it's a – what do they call it? Some fringe, dangerous, debunked – I mean, they got all kinds of adjectives for QAnon. There's no danger. You, you can look at it and say that's nonsense, or you can say you agree with it, or you say, I don't know. Yeah. And I think the healthiest response would be look at it and say, I don't know, but I'm really curious, and I'm not going to make a judgment one way or another. But what QAnon appears to have done is instead of you know having a conspiracy you know, topic over here or a crime over there or whatever, it sort of united all of those and said, okay, this is a huge anti-corruption movement that is battling what? The deep state. Is the deep state real? Well, it depends how you define it. Uh, but I think the deep state is real. The term's been used longer. And what it really means is the power structure that's sort of behind the curtain, kind of like um, the Wizard of Oz, the guy behind the curtain, right? You have these people with all this power. And the battle seems like it's heated up like crazy. And, you know, certainly we're hopeful that, uh, you know, the Trump administration is really representing the people. And that's why I say it's a populist movement. It's not a left-right. And we talked before about divide and conquer. The left-right thing is kind of a little bit of a distraction because the real battle is between the establishment, and that is the power elites and people that don't want to be controlled. And that's why we're seeing what I would call a populist revolution around the globe. It's not just in the U.S. We're yes. seeing this in other and other countries. And that's the significance about QAnon that people can get lost in the weeds, as they say. Nothing wrong with weed, by the way, but uh, you can get lost in the weeds. Uh, but what we're really looking at is, you know, a battle between globalism and the global elite. And people are concerned about those things where we lose our rights. And really, nationalism is our, our wall of defense against globalism. Yes. And I'm a fan of localism. I mean, that's a whole other topic about what is the ideal economic system? Well, for starters, we like to have a little bit of freedom and autonomy and, 
you know, be able to, you know, work with our neighbors, et cetera. But uh, if globalism is threatening us, the nationalism is our first line of defense. And so that's why this current battle is between nationalism and globalism. Yes. And it's pretty clear from, forget about what Trump says, look at what Trump does. And so far, his actions have shown that he's, you know, make America great again. He's basically defending nationalism against what? Globalism. Globalism. You know, that's it. And so all the little stuff, all that may be true or not true, and we can be completely lost in the weeds. We're in a battle between whether or not we have our sovereignty, one as a nation, and then ultimately our sovereignty as individuals. Can someone tell us we have to stay indoors and not go anywhere or we'll be arrested? You know, I mean, I, I realize we have a pandemic and emergencies require certain things. But at some point, the reason this country was founded was for, you know, our individual liberties. And we have the Constitution to protect us from government tyranny. Yes. You know, and so that's the battle. And I think QAnon, even if QAnon was just a, a nice, fun game for all of us. It's still, I think, and you said this before, it still seems to be a positive thing because it's encouraging people to think for themselves and prove uh, how they investigate things and, and build that discipline. Yeah. Because as a country, we've kind of lost that. I, I talk about, you know, let's make America think again. We'll become great again when we can make America think again. And that's more focused on more how to think rather than what to think. And that's what you and I have just been talking about. How do we break these things down? How do we look at them? How do we have the patience and the discipline together to understand things? And you've given many examples of people who kind of jump ahead and, you know, make claims or make conclusions that are not really founded and they distract us and they cause problems. Yeah. All right, Mike. Uh, wonderful discussion. I would love to have you back on. Let me just, uh, Mike is a, he he keeps me grounded. We have these great conversations, and um, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing our conversation uh, with the public, Mike. He can be found, he's, he's working on a new YouTube series. It's a YouTube channel. It's called The Philosopher Engineer on YouTube, and he's coming up with uh, different ways to help you understand critical thinking and ways to approach uh, problems and puzzles. Um, Mike, I've got to go and I've got to break all the rules. I'm getting together with at least five people. We're going on a hike outdoors. Um, so I've got to go get to that and get to some of this living, uh, that I'm trying to do. Uh, we could go on and on for hours, couldn't we? There are so many things we didn't touch on. We didn't touch on Austin Steinbart, uh, the DIA. Um, so many, we, I know you could talk about 9-11 and the towers, um, I've been going down a few of those wormholes recently. I know you could go on for an hour on that topic. Uh, will you come back again sometime and, and let's uh, try to flush out some facts and investigate something specific? Oh, absolutely. It's been a pleasure, Jay, and I'm happy to hear you're going to go out and have a criminal uh, hike yes. with your friends <laughs> and break, break every law. You're trying to follow uh, you know, my last name, I guess, and in spirit. So th that's fantastic. Yeah. And I do think, you know, there's so many things we could pursue, uh, almost endless things in it, but it's important to have a framework too. And, and that's, I'm glad we're spending some time talking about even how do we just approach these problems? Uh, because there's an infinite number of these things to chase and they're daunting and they're very difficult to get to the bottom of, if ever.
Yeah, and if, if I could just encourage people, I'll sign off. I said it earlier. There is a fire hose of information, and there's a fire hose of endless leads and endless dots that you can investigate. And it's so overwhelming that that might dismay you from actually looking into any of them. I would just say, if you find something interesting, look into it. Dig a little bit deeper. You want to look into um, Adam Schiff and Ed Buck? Look into that. You want to look into the Standard Hotel, and next thing you know, you find the owner and you find Marie Ambramovich? Look into that. Hey, Marie Ambramovich, there's a great place to start. What about Ghislaine Maxwell and who her dad was? So many different ways to go. Emron Awan, there are factual court documents and an interesting story there about a Pakistani gentleman who was in charge of our IT in the Senate and in the DNC. Emron Awan, there's another great little thread to tug on but we're not going we're not going to get to the next stage of our society uh by putting our heads in the sand and just uh being the sheep for these overlords we are meant to be in charge of our representative democracy and until we educate ourselves and look into things and debate and and love our neighbor uh we're not going to progress Absolutely. And one, just one last thing I wanted to share, Jay, and I mentioned it to you before, just a little tip, because most of this will get exhausted. And we just have to be aware of that, that we all have these limitations. And I call it the principle of proportionality. Uh, and, and that is, you know, we can't chase every rabbit hole, but we should focus on the bigger ones, uh, at least, and, and kind of do that. Because if you chase every single thing, you're just going to drive yourself insane. And that that's part of the challenge is to avoid that. It's kind of like the 80-20 rule. You know, you can cover 80% of these issues and 20% of the time. But if you try to solve every every problem that we see, every bit of corruption, you could spend, you know, three lifetimes and still not get it done. So you need something to kind of provide a framework so you can use that time well. But you're right. We all have to kind of hold our government accountable. And that means we need to uh, be vigilant or we can lose our, our liberty in our country. Yeah, those are great words. I'm going to try to listen to that proportionality, um, the words you just gave there, because I, I almost feel like you were speaking to me, because it, it is maddening to try to look into everything that you come across, and it, every once in a while it might be important just to stop and focus on one thing and just go go with that one thing. All right, I'm signing off. Thank you all for listening. If you listen to the end, boy, I hope you really enjoyed this discussion and uh, we will talk to you again. Let's be friends. We're all on this cosmic spaceship together. Subscribe and share the Conservative Hippie Podcast. Visit our sponsors, SmokeAndJays.com. Everything for your smoke and lifestyle. StonerHoroscopes.com. Adora Zen dishes cosmic vibes for the stoner at heart. KickFromTheSpot.com. Soccer is American.